0: About four years ago, we got a call from a pastor in downtown. He's a great man, a retired pastor, a pastor of a small uh, church in downtown LA, the heart of the city, in Little Tokyo. He said, Enoch, we are afraid. Our church has been here for almost 100 years. And all these people moved into our neighborhood. We don't speak their language. Uh, They couldn't speak English, but it's a Japanese church, and culturally, we are far apart. We would like to partner with Bel Air so we will be able to reach the people who are around us. Pastor Mark, all the pastors in Bel Air, we prayed about it, our elders prayed about it, and we start a ministry in partnering with that church to plant a church in downtown. It has been a long journey, but a blessed one. Just this last week, the leadership of our denomination, our denomination met in Pittsburgh, and they select some churches around the nation to represent some of the great things that God is doing in local churches throughout the nation. Two weeks ago, we showed the video of Water's Edge, where Bill Crawford is ministering there, planting a church. And today, uh, we're going to show this short video of of the bridge in downtown. Isn't it great? Of the very few videos that were shown in that general assembly, two of them were from Bel Air. God is doing amazing things in our midst. Watch this with me.
1: As a Japanese congregation, Union Church has existed in downtown L.A. for nearly a century. Recently, in an effort to reach its growing and diverse population, we partnered with Bel Air Presbyterian Church to start a new ministry. It's called The
2: Bridge.
0: I love the fact that it's just so intergenerational and that we're able to worship together and, yeah, be able to just build friendships. We love the pastor.
1: His teachings. There's a lot of love.
0: The congregation, support.
2: There's
1: a lot of unity here. The Bridge is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, socioeconomic worshiping community. We want to see black and white, Asian and Latino, 20-year-olds and 80-year-olds worshiping and serving together as a reflection of God's kingdom.
0: I love it because it feels like it's a really accurate slice of the kingdom. It's going to be different ages and different walks, different races, all coming together at the same time to worship the same God.
1: What I really like most about the bridge is just our community here. We're such a small, close-knit group, and the moment you walk in, you just feel so welcome. Uh, There's so many opportunities here to get plugged in. We partner with local business leaders to help them integrate their faith and work and team up with local organizations to help serve the homeless on Skid Row and to help plant urban gardens in the city.
0: The great thing about urban gardening is the Skid Row residents themselves will come out and help, and that's what it's all about.
1: It's important for us here at the Bridge to connect with our homeless friends down the street, uh, families, especially the kids. It's important for everyone to know that God loves them. You've heard it said that Sunday mornings are the most segregated day of the week. Well, at the bridge, we're doing everything we can to prove that statement wrong. Love God and bless the city. That's why we're called the bridge.
0: This time has passed. The bridge now has two pastors, one senior pastor and a pastor of the Japanese church. Both of them called to serve their church. And just today I was working with Tim a little bit on the numbers. Both the bridge is developing, both the Japanese church is growing as well, even financially in the support of the ministry there. Great blessings. I don't need to introduce Tim and Bill. They will be preaching both of them tonight. You're going to be a treat for us, I'm telling you. But one thing I would say about the two of you, Tim and Bill, you have made Bel Air Presbyterian Church better church for the work that you're doing, for the ministry that you're developing in our city. It has been an inspiration for our church. And certainly in many years from now, when we get together to talk about these years of Bel-Air, your names will be there and your families and the way that God has used you too as an instrument to uh, help in our church, to have, to be more aware, to grow in our vision, to reach this city for Christ through church planting. God bless you. So glad you guys are here with us. Tim, come. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for Bill and Tim, and as they uh, bring your word to us tonight, I ask that you use them, Lord, to bless our lives, to challenge us, to be a better witness of Christ. Thank you for their ministries and their family and the inspiration that they are for us here in our staff at Pillar. Bless us today. We ask in Christ Jesus. Amen. Welcome, Tim. Well, uh,
1: I went to UCLA just down the road. That's how I got connected with Bel Air Press back in the 80s. I am an old guy, I just turned 42. And, uh, but glad to be here. You'd think I'd be pretty smart because I went to UCLA. I was an applied mathematics major. I got a master's there, blah, 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 blah. But who wears the same shirt that's in the video? Uh. <laughs> I show up, you know, it's like, oh, the same shirt. I'm like, dang it! What? What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so, like, not L.A. It's like, you know, i wear a different color shirt and the whole thing. So, sorry about that. But uh, I want to thank the Beller family, of course, for the support. It's been there a short 15 months. I'm going to keep uh, my remarks short because Bill and I are kind of tag-teaming tonight. We're not going to go over our normal kind of sermon time, but we're going to talk about evangelism. And I just was reflecting on the, the gratitude in my heart for Beller's support. There's no way the last 15 months you would see what you're seeing without your support. So, I am literally saying thank you because it really is you who are supporting us and you're helping us get on our own feet. And as Enoch was saying, we're, we're growing and we're a small community downtown. But we'd love for each one of you sometime this next year to visit us. Uh, just know that we're there. Bring a friend who lives downtown. Just know that we're there, something that we're doing. We'd love for you to come and visit us and maybe serve with us even for a short season. So I want to say thank you. I think uh, as we talk about this theme of evangelism, I think of a young man, Brandon, graduated from UCLA, played baseball there, and then uh, retired from pro ball and was investigating Buddhism, found his way to the bridge, and came to the Lord um, several months ago. I think of our friends from the Skid Row community just down the street as we're building bridges with local organizations. Organizations, and many of them, we're encouraging them in their faith. And they're encouraging us in our faith as they struggle with substance abuse and different... Uh pain in their life, um, they're growing and uh, attributing the gospel into their own lives. I think of our friend Anne who grew up in the church her whole life and for the first time is getting baptized this Sunday after all these years because she's finally feeling connected to a church and, and doing something and, and right in the city, loving God and blessing the city. And I'm reminded as we talk about evangelism, we talk about the gospel, but we need to be reminded that the gospel is not just for salvation. The gospel, the good news, is necessary for salvation. But you Christians, and many of you are Christians here tonight, you Christians need the gospel as where? For your ongoing sanctification. So the gospel is for, yes, when you come to know the Lord and your salvation, and you're also the gospel you attribute towards your ongoing sanctification. God is growing you. As you remember, I'm forgiven. So why am I trying to impress other people? That's sanctification. I'm forgiven. So why do I still hold on to bitterness? That's sanctification. I am forgiven. I am saved. And I'm now free to, to serve. So why do I so selfishly focus on myself and my needs? See, the gospel is not just for people to get saved. It's for your ongoing sanctification and growth. And so as we talk about evangelism, it's, it, it's talking about attributing the gospel not only to our friends who are outside the church, but we need to attribute the gospel to ourselves every day so that we remember, we remember, we remember. I'm free. I'm free. I don't have to serve myself anymore. I'm free. Richard Mao at Fuller Seminary, he goes here to the Bel Air and sitting on the airplane, he shares a story. Sat next to a gentleman, gentleman stuck up a conversation, started sharing his faith with President Mao of Fuller Seminary. After some time, uh, Dr. Mao turned to him and said, that, that, that's wonderful news and thank you for sharing about your faith and sharing to me about Jesus, but I'm a born again Christian already. And so thinking that the man would be excited to hear that, he said, this man got a sour look on his face and said, well, why didn't you tell me earlier? Because I just wasted my whole time on you. (laughs) And Dr. Mao realized, Dr. Mao realized he was a target. And do you know that some of our friends feel like that? Us Christians who are trying to share our faith, that they feel like a Commodity. So when we talk about evangelism, we've got to be careful. First of all, we don't just only think the gospel is only for the non-believers. We attribute it to us as believers for ongoing sanctification as well. But we also, yes, we should be energized by the urgency that people need to know the Lord. But we also need to make sure that that urgency does not com- make, turn people into commodities. Or, or that urgency is not added guilt. The last thing we want you to do is to walk away feeling guilty tonight. I'm gonna talk about the why of evangelism, Bill's gonna talk about the how of evangelism, and just a, in, a, in a very short way, just want to encourage every one of us. If you walk out feeling guilty, that's not the Holy Spirit. But if you walk out realizing, I am forgiven, I am free, and God has chosen me to be His witness in this city, thank you God, help me be better, a better witness. Well then, that's exactly what I think is God is trying to stir up in us tonight. Does that make sense? If you walk out feeling guilty, that's not the Holy Spirit. If you walk out saying, God, how can I rearrange my life, though, to be a, a more uh, strategic witness? Oh, that's a great way to walk out today. I want you to hear this quote. This is a, kind of a backdrop before. I'm going to share three points, and I'm off the stage here. J.D. Greer talks about the gospel in this way. He says, we are changed not by being told what we need to do for God, but by hearing the news about what God has done for us. Gospel change is the spirit of God using the story of God to make the beauty of God come alive in our hearts. I want you to walk out knowing the story of God and to be alive, that you're free and you're forgiven and that God has strategically placed you in LA for this season for a purpose. Oh, that's exciting, friends. That's not guilt. That's joy. So don't leave feeling guilty about evangelism. Feel feel uh, uh, as a place that you're excited to be part of what God is doing. Leave this place feeling grateful how much God loves you for all the ways he's been preparing you to be a witness for him in this beautiful and broken city of L.A., using you to point to his presence every day wherever you work, Wherever you play, whatever your network is, God has placed you there in this city. So I'm going to give you three quick reasons, and I'm serious. I'm off the stage. It's going to be like that. It's going to go quick. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. So three reasons why you should care about evangelism. First of all, because you live in LA. LA is one of the 19 great global cities of the world. It's called a mega city. By the end of the 21st, by the by the point of the 21st century, you'll be one of only 19 cities that hit 20 million people. That's the city you live in. The, the greater metro area, number 11th city in terms of population, greater metro area around the world. So why should you care about evangelism? Well, in the year 1800, only 3% of the world lived in an urban area. And by 2050, over 70% of the world will live in a city. The whole world is moving towards cities. And LA is one of the biggest ones in the world. And God placed you here. And you thought you were here to get famous. God has a plan for you to use it strategically in the city. Did you know that over 90% of the people who live in an apartment complex, how many of you live in an apartment complex? Be proud. Apartment dwellers, yay. God has placed you there. Let me give you, you thought you live there because you can't afford a house. No. You live there because over 90% of your neighbors are non-churched. You're not there by accident. God has placed you there strategically to be His witness. That's why you should care about evangelism, because God has placed you here in the city to be His witness. In an apartment, in in downtown L.A., in the west side, the valley, wherever that would be, you should care about evangelism because God has placed you in L.A. to reveal the life of Jesus in you. You're not here by accident, you're to be His witness. The second reason why you should care about evangelism is because our friends have a hard time hearing the gospel in our current contexts. A book called UnChristian highlights the challenge Christians face in sharing the gospel. So listen to this. Those outside the faith, ages 16 to 29, some of you here are in that range. Some of us are a little bit above that range. But listen to that demographic. They largely dismiss Christians as hypocritical, as having ulterior motives, as being anti-homosexual, sheltered from the real world, too political, and judgmental. And this is what 70 to 90% of your friends think about you if you're a Christian. So how do you think your little evangelistic technique's going to work? Breaking through those six barriers. Oh, friends, we need the power of God. And as Bill gives us the why, he's going to give you some great ideas and strategies, but we need the power of God. God has placed you strategically in the city, so you should care about evangelism. You should care also because we face six great barriers, at the very least, if not even more. We need help with evangelism, and that's why we're talking about it tonight. Thirdly, we focus on evangelism, lastly, because it's the only story that is ultimately true. It's kind of what Bill was talking about as we were talking about the, the Lord's table. They give you a big picture. Well, but Tim, why should I bother with evangelism? There's these six major barriers and no one's going to listen to me anyway. Because God told you to and because it's a true story. You tell it. You share it. You're a witness in the city that God has strategically placed you, even in the midst of all these barriers, because God is calling you to be faithful. He is the sower. It is His seed. It is His word. But your job is to be faithful, to tell the true story. 1 Peter 3.15 uh, says this, and we'll wrap up with this. It says, Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that which you have. Always be ready. Be ready to share. but So we don't share the gospel as one option among many. One story among many true stories. No. It's the ultimate true story. It's the only ultimately true story. So with this view, then evangelism isn't a technique that we're going to learn some ways to do it better, but it takes actions that are backed up by words. Actions and words always together. But it is a verbal invitation. To live, though, listen to this, under the rain and the rule of God. So every human being is designed to live under the king's rule, but most people you share this with won't believe you. They won't believe that they were made and built and designed to live under King Jesus' rule. But that's the true story that God has placed you strategically in L.A. to share amongst your neighbors, 90% of them in apartments who don't believe in Jesus and don't go to church, who have six barriers against hearing you. So Tim, why are you supposed to share? Because it's a true story. Simply because it's true that you share. I love how uh, Leslie Newbigin, famous theologian, he shares this. Where the church is faithful to its Lord, there the powers of the kingdom are present and people begin to ask the questions to which the gospel is the answer. Did you hear that? You're called to live in L.A. and to live a life faithful to Jesus every day, wherever you work, wherever you play, in your networks. So that people will begin asking the questions where the gospel is the only answer. So you're supposed to live a provocative life. You're not supposed to answer everyone's questions. You're not supposed to convert anybody. You're supposed to live a kind of life, planted in apartments and in LA and all over the place, that causes people to ask the kinds of questions where the gospel is the only answer. Friends, can you join us with that? That's the why. We need to evangelize. And Bill's going to share a few words on the how. Bill. Okay.
2: Thanks, Tim. <clears throat> I was raised back on the East Coast, and my dad told me a story one time. He was on the train going into New York City, and in those days on the train, they would sell sandwiches and drinks on the train. A, a guy had like a, a strap around a box that uh, he would go along and try to sell candy bars or sandwiches and stuff and he was telling me this guy came through the train and he goes chicken ham and cheese chicken ham and cheese chicken ham and cheese chicken ham and cheese and then he threw the car and onto the next car my dad said not one person bought a sandwich but about 20 minutes later another salesman came to the door and he and he said good afternoon ladies and gentlemen is anybody hungry is anybody thirsty Would anybody like a chicken, ham, or cheese sandwich? And my dad said I thought he was going to be sold out before I could get to him. (laughs) And I think that one of the barriers for a lot of us about sharing our faith is we've been around too many chicken, ham, and cheese evangelists. Rather than people who have invited us to a great delightful meal in that respect. let me share you some of the barriers that I face as we get into because if we can remove the barriers then maybe we can move ahead with the how-to and one of the barriers for me often has been doubt especially in my my younger Christian faith I wasn't really convinced that Christianity was true and so it was through as I became more and more secure in my faith and I read books like know why you believe and know what you believe and things like that it it helped to alleviate those doubts and I was more apt to share my faith Another thing was fear of rejection, especially with my non-Christian friends. I was afraid if I said something about Jesus, they might reject me. And pride is a big part of that. I was more concerned about what people thought about me than I was about what they thought about Jesus. And then there was that fear of offending people. You know, somehow when people try to force the gospel on, on, on unwilling listeners, it's fruitless and it's really a bad witness. <laughs> You know, people don't want to be pushed, but generally they appreciate being when, when we're being honest. The other thing that was a huge bear for me in my younger life was my inconsistent life with Christ. Satan would remind me of all the things that I was doing that were wrong and that I was not good enough to be able to talk to other people. But, you know, it's true. Uh, Christians aren't perfect. They're forgiven. And that's what the woman at the well said, come meet a man who told me. She became a great evangelist, but but uh, the other thing for me was an aversion to particular methods. I used to go to all these different training things, and back one time I went down here to Santa Monica, and I tried to share Christ with ten people on the beach and felt this religious survey, and about after five I threw him in the trash and went swimming. But. Uh, I thought that that was the only way you could share your faith. And so that that somehow people were quibbling over that. But I, I realized what that became. It was a smokescreen for not sharing my faith. Because I don't like the way you share your faith. I don't share my faith. I loved Dwight L. Moody one day. This lady said, sir, I don't like the way you share your faith. And he said, madam, I like the way I do it a lot better than the way you don't. But uh... and then the other thing for me that was a paralyzing fear was that inability to answer questions. You know what? It's okay to admit that you don't have answers. Christianity isn't going to crash and burn because you fail to answer one question. I was in Colorado one time speaking at a fellowship of Christian athletes camp and this kid who came up to me after every session with every question you can imagine, one night he says to me, do you think that God can make a rock so big he can't move it? I said, yes, because he created you. And uh, so, you know, we should do our homework. You know, we n- we should know what our message is. But how do we get started in conversation about spiritual things? Well, just to close up tonight, I want to introduce you to a new and yet very old approach to evangelism. It's designed to reflect evangelism as it's laid out in the Scripture for the needs of people in our postmodern world. It's called three story evangelism. It's all about connecting stories. Me and my story, him and his story, and them and God's story. Uh, um, the more these stories and lives connect, the more powerful I think the gospel becomes. Three-story evangelism is teaching people that the first step in evangelism towards Christ is not towards a lost world, but it's learning, as Tim just mentioned, much learning much more about Jesus and experiencing His story in our own lives. It's also designed to help people who want to reach a lost world that listening has to become more powerful than telling. The simple truth is, if we want people to listen to us, we have to listen to them first people listen to people who listen and they also listen only to people that they perceive are real and authentic the third aspect of three story evangel and by the way tim i had a girl when i was a campus life director she said if i don't accept your jesus will you still be my friend and that's that whole thing where we think of people's projects rather than people you know there's more to him and his story than just his death there's more to people's story than just their sin When we connect their perceived needs to Jesus' story, he becomes relevant to them. And simply put, I move into a deepening relationship with Jesus and I listen to my friend's story and when I discover what their story is and what Christ's story is, I try to connect them because I've been paying attention. And it boils down to these six components. To fall more in love with Jesus Christ, to allow his life to transform me from the inside out, To learn to listen to people by asking questions, to become more authentic and real, to allow people to process all these stories, and then to connect the gospel to someone's needs and desires. And so here's what it is. It's stories and not steps. Three-story evangelism is about bringing three stories together in a natural way. It's not taking people through a sequence of predetermined steps, but it's parts of a story. And then it's listening and not telling. Three-story evangelism starts out with the believer listening to the non-believer, not preaching to them. It's built on the assumption that people listen to people who listen. And it's honesty and not perfection. Three-story evangelism asks the believer to be honest with their own life, not perfect. And when we pretend to be perfect, the only person that we fool is ourselves. I had a person, a friend who was perfect, but I had to give him up for Lent. And then... Um, It's questions and not answers. Three-story evangelism is more about asking questions than giving answers. And the most Christians are who are giving answers to questions that non-Christians aren't even asking. And that it's contributing and not controlling. Three-story evangelism is not about controlling conversations, but it's allowing conversations to be free to go wherever they're going and then to bring Jesus into these topics and discussions. And it's hope and not judgment. Three-story evangelism is primarily about me sharing hope rather than me judging others' lifestyle or words or choices. And it's them and not you. Three-story evangelism is really about allowing people to be themselves and listening to their story, and it's about me getting to know them, not about them getting to know me. And then it's Holy Spirit, not program. You know, three-story evangelism is being led by God's Spirit in our conversations and our relationships. It's not working through some tips and techniques to, to manipulate the gospel into a conversation at the earliest time, but it's about being led by God's Spirit to bring those parts of Jesus' story that He wants me to bring in at a given moment. And then it's not linear. Or it's nonlinear, it's, it's not linear. Three-story evangelism allows people to discover the part of Jesus' story that's most relevant to them at that moment. Jesus' story doesn't come to everybody in the same order or with the same words. And it's process and not product. Three-story evangelism is allowing life to influence the process. Most three-story evangelism is not designed to be a product, but it's a natural process of relationship. And then finally... It's life and not words. Three-story evangelism is all about God's life and my life and their life and the reality of those lives in our conversations together. Dwight L. Moody made this statement. He said, share Christ as often as you can, and if you have to, use words. I had a friend who uh, came to me. She was a, a gal in our Campus Life Club, and she had come to know Christ, and her sister didn't know christ and she was very anxious for her sister to come to know and she tried to share with her and share with her but her sister was very uh put off by this and so she came to her office one day and she said hey how can i get my sister to listen and one of the guys in her office says well let me ask you what's one thing you could give up that she would know that christ has really made a difference in your life and without even batting an eye linda said the red chair we go the red chair she says yeah there's this red chair in our tv room and and every time we get out for dinner stuff we always race and we always fight over who's going to sit in the red chair and if i got out of the red chair and let her sit there she'd know that there was something different about my life so that next day she tries it she come from dinner and they go in the living room and she says here nancy you can sit here and nancy she's like wait a second You know, she picked up the cushion to look for one of those super-duper poopers, you know. She thought, there's something up here. And as she sat in that chair the whole time, she kept looking over at Linda to see what was really going on. Day after day, whenever Nancy came in the room, Linda popped out of the chair and Nancy would sit down. Today, Nancy's a believer. She worked for five years on Youth for Christ staff, leading other teenagers to Christ after she got out of college. All because... Linda was willing to get out of the chair and so that's why it's life and not words well that's enough for tonight let's pray father thank you for the story that you've given to each of us in our lives thank you for your story and how it's intersected in our lives and help us as we get to know other people's stories to be able to intertwine those stories in your story in a way that will build bridges, that will allow you to walk from our heart into the hearts of others. And to that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We have a time in our worship service now. It's a time that we invite you to to be thankful to God for all the blessings that He has given your life. Everything that we do, everything that we possess, belongs to God. So this time in worship service, we have this offering places in different places in sanctuary. If you feel led uh, we invite you to come and give. These projects will go to support the ministry of the church on the top of this hill, but the ministry in church planting and partnerships and projects throughout the world as well. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that we have given us. And now, Lord, as we come with our gifts and offerings, I ask, Lord, that you receive it as as an offering of our hearts and of our love for you. And ask that you bless those who are given, Lord, that they will be blessed in their paths, in their way, in their lives, in their jobs, in their families. And Lord, I bless that you use these gifts to, for the expansion of the kingdom of Christ in this world. In his name we pray. Amen.